0: Good evening, Uh, you know what, Uh, it's been a lot of fun to be friends with the Cesare family and and, uh, it feels like a lot longer than 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, In fact, one of the best stories of my life was we were building a beach house down uh, near Seaside and I had this uh, like fixation with uh, Shark Week and I had a son uh, who was about this tall and he thought the greatest thing in the world was Shark Week. And uh, are we not on? Okay, anyway. Um, we'll, uh, we'll keep rolling here in just a sec. Um, but, mine, by the way. <laughs> so, so we're down there, and uh, we're moving into our house, and I convince uh, Matthew's parents to let him come with us to be hired help, and the price was right, as you can imagine. And so we're moving in. Well, we get ready to get a bite to eat one night, and we're going to um, go down to the beach, and I think if I remember right, we're going to have tacos on the beach. And so uh, it's about dusk, and it's shark week time of the year, and I'm thinking, you know, what's the perfect time to like catch a shark? And so um, I said, hey Matthew, I said, hey Matthew, you see that kayak over there? Why don't we go up to the grill and why don't? And why don't we uh, get some rotten meat that's left up at the grill. And how about we get a, a rod and a reel. And you just go out as far as you can possibly go in that kayak. <laughs> and then drop you know, the, the bait on this treble hook out in the water and so matthew paddles out you know four or five hundred yards it's about seven o'clock so you can barely see out on the horizon just this little yellow thing and matthew cesare in this kayak trying to get out there to drop a line well a couple sundays before that i had heard andy stanley tell a story about how he and louis giglio had gone to catch sharks they'd gone and gotten a rubber inner tube a long, long nylon cable, a big old hook at a hardware store, and gone to a grill and gotten some rotten meat, let it be out in the sun all day. So Matthew's out there, my son I think at the time is like five or something like that, four, about that? Maybe five. Yeah, our daughter's like seven. My wife is screaming up and down, I mean, taking me to task because she's scared to death that Matthew is going to die out in the ocean and we're gonna, we're not going to be able to bring him home to his parents. So we've known the is Aries for a long time. Matthew, it's been a ton of fun to watch you uh, become the man you are and it's an honor to be here. Um, before we get started, I would love for us to just consider what happened in Las Vegas um, today. And I think it would be meaningful if we just kind of paused for a second. I'll pray for us. I'll pray for the people of Las Vegas. You can just kind of sit maybe in silence and think about that. The last I saw, I think 60 people were killed and over 500 were injured. It's the worst um, you know, mass killing in the history of our country. And so we saw what happened with hurricanes, we saw what happened with earthquakes, we've seen what happened with fires up in the Northwest. And um, the world's crazy. It's, there's a lot of stuff going on. And the last thing in the world people expected in Las Vegas last night was go to a concert and to have happen what happened. So, how about I pray for our night? How about I pray for people in Las Vegas? Father, thanks for um, just the privilege of sitting here, being together here. Um, Thank you, Lord, for a place that feels safe. Um, I guess in this world, we don't really know what is safe, um, but we're grateful for a chance to just be here tonight, kind of pause in the course of our week and um, Lord we're mindful for people in Las Vegas and um, we lift people there who've been injured to you we pray for families who've been affected horribly by that situation Uh, we pray healing for people Uh, we pray comfort and hope for people and um, we can't really wrap our minds around what happened out there but we pray that you would use us uh, to uh, be a mechanism for good in a, in a world that would have something like that happen. It doesn't make any sense. So Lord, help us to be uh, bright lights shining in a dark world, a hard world, a, a world that's really got some issues. Um, help us to be people who unite and bring together and, um, and uh, as far as it is possible for us, be at peace with other men. Uh, We love you. I pray you'd bless our time tonight. pray you'd bless these guys. In Christ's name, amen. So um, I'm under the uh, impression that in a couple months, you guys are going to actually have a really good speaker. Um, I am not a professional speaker. I'm not even a good speaker in my mind. But in a couple months, you're going to have a guy show up here who I've been uh, in a small group with for about 20 years named Jeff Foxworthy. And you do not want to miss... Uh, when Fox is here. Um, I guess that's the December get together. is that right? Um, Incredible, incredible guy. We've done a lot of life together, a small group of us, and man, you don't want to miss that night. So um, come and enjoy that night. Um, As I was thinking a little bit about um, what I would share with you, uh, what I don't want is a monologue. I don't want to stand here and talk for 20 or 30 minutes. I want to share a couple thoughts, and I'd love to take any question you got. Um, So here's kind of how I'd kick it off. I spent most of my life until I was kind of around 2021, in my opinion, uh, trying to prove myself, trying to kind of show that I deserved um, whatever I wanted, that I could make my way in the world. And uh, I went to the Naval Academy out of high school. I grew up in South Georgia. I ended up uh, leaving Annapolis after a couple years. My dad was a military officer and kind of realized I got to Annapolis and it was the Uh, Worst place in the world to be at, is what they say, but it's the best place in the world to be from. And I wasn't going to give a chance to the from part. I was going to get out of there as soon as I could. And so I left, came back to Georgia. Um, While I was at Georgia, kind of had an epiphany. Um, I realized after missing a kick to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night on ESPN as the game of the week, 24-yard field goal, by the way, not any kick. Pretty easy kick. Um, I realized my identity was wrapped up in what I did, how I performed, who I knew, things like that. And that if I had a quest in life to kind of prove myself, I was never, ever, ever gonna succeed. Uh, If my uh, identity dictated how I felt about myself, what I thought about myself, who who I was, that I was in deep trouble because when I got back to the athletic dorm after missing a 24 yard field goal in Tuscaloosa on ESPN on Saturday night, when it was 0-0, and had I made the kick, we'd have won. The message, this was an answering machine uh, back in the day, the message on my answering machine in the athletic dorm was nice kick, asshole. That's what it said, nice kick, asshole. And I thought to myself, man, if if that's what I'm pursuing, Man, I'm pursuing the wrong thing. Um, Andy Stanley says, your direction will determine your destination, think about that. Your direction will determine your destination. And I was on a direction that was leading to a destination ultimately I knew I didn't want to have. Because I knew I couldn't be perfect. I knew there was no way in the world in my lifetime I would never miss another kick as long as I kicked. I didn't know how long I'd kick, but I knew I was gonna kick for a little while and there was no way in the world I was not gonna miss a kick. And in a world of measurables, in a world where things are very defined, it either goes through the uprights or it doesn't, if you make the kick, everybody loves you. If you miss the kick, people call you an asshole. And I thought, that's just the wrong path because that wasn't really who I was. Um, When I ended up getting out to Seattle, a guy who worked with the Portland Trailblazers who became a friend asked me one day, who are you? And I told him who I was, or at least who I thought I was. I said, well, I'm Todd Peterson. And he said, no, that's your name. He said, who are you? And I said, well, I don't know what you're getting at. Um, I'm the kicker for the Seahawks. And he said, no, that's what you do. Who are you? Do you know who you are? And it really caused me to think. It really caused me to begin to realize I didn't really know who I was. Um, what, What I believe today is that what I do, what my name is, who I know, any of those kinds of things isn't who I am. And I'm grateful for that because I've had a lot of life where I have realized that most of those things will will cause me to fall short. Um, So I get here uh, tonight and I stand before you and and like I said, I don't wanna spend a lot of time talking. I'd love to get into some Q&A type of stuff, but I love the idea of getting together like this. I love the name of this, Purpose on Tap. Um, I've tried to learn in my lifetime to live purposefully. I've tried to learn in my lifetime to not allow the world to dictate how I live, um, to not pursue the things of the world. Uh, Along the way, I came across uh, kind of a, it's not a proverb, but just a little thought, and it says, what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? And I realized most of my life, until I was in my early, early 20s, I was trying to gain the world. I was trying to prove myself in the world. I was trying to establish my way in the world. And the reality is we we have to live in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. And so when I look at the world, most of the time I see guys, in my opinion, who are dramatically influenced by the world more than they are influencing the world. And I had concluded by the time I was in my early 20s that I didn't want to be influenced by the world as much as I was able to actually more influence the world. So the Purpose on Tap idea to me is a great idea. Um, I don't want to live uh, in such a way that I'm purposeless or lack intention. I've um, been married 23, almost 24 years. I have a daughter who's 19 and a son who's 17. And man, once you become a dad, I'm sure we got a lot of dads in here. Raise your hand if you're a dad. Got a ton of dads. We got a few granddads, I imagine. Raise your hand if you're a granddad. Okay. And once you become a dad, it changes things, doesn't It makes you kind of think about purpose beyond yourself, doesn't it? Makes you think about ambition, initiative, those kinds of things, really beyond yourself. And I realized, thankfully, pretty early in in fatherhood, that I was responsible for these two little lives. Um, our daughter was born in 1998. Our son, 2000. I'd been in the NFL for a few years and. Man, early on in the NFL, it was a piece of cake. It was just me and my wife. It was tons of fun. It was tons of margin. It was all kinds of free time. You know, People think NFL players work like four or five months out of the year. You really work like 11 months out of the year, but it's a pretty good gig. And so we had a ton of time in the off season to do fun stuff. Well, then all of a sudden, kids come along, and it kind of recalibrates things. It really makes you think, right? And you get kids, and you realize, wait, these two little mouths are dependent upon me. They're listening to every word that comes out of my mouth. And it makes you think about your purpose. makes you think about how intentional you are about things. Uh, There is a proverb that says, "A, a rich man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And as I was coming up through the league and I was making money, I realized I was gonna be in a position where I could actually probably leave my children an inheritance. Maybe even my children's children an inheritance. But then I really began to think about in this world, what did I want to leave my children? And I realized way more than material wealth, inheritance, I wanted to leave them what they needed to be able to navigate the life that had failed me right i had gotten to a place where i thought my identity was tied up in whether or not i made a kick or missed a kick i didn't want my daughter or my son to fall into that trap and so slowly but surely my wife and i kind of determined and and discerned and began to understand how to navigate life and realize that we could have purpose way outside ourselves we could have intentionality in our relationship and our marriage Uh, we could have intentionality in how we raised our kids Uh, We could find a way for ourselves that might actually put our kids in a better position to have influence on the world than to be influenced by the world. Um, There's an amazing, amazing book out. It was written a few years ago, but but it was written by a guy named Hugh Hewitt. Anybody know who Hugh, Hugh Hewitt is? Okay, a couple head nods. It's called In But Not Of. In But Not Of. Read it. It's an amazing book. One of the other things that I realized as I was kind of figuring some of this stuff out was that life's not easy, right? Life, my dad used to say, life is not a bowl full of cherries. And I used to always think, what in the heck does he mean? And he had grown up in the Midwest and they have cherries up in Michigan. And and so he said, life isn't a bowl full of cherries. And most of the time I thought life was, was pretty good. But I realized over time, life isn't easy. In fact, I realized over time, life is pretty hard. And when you look at Las Vegas, it makes you think about life can be hard, doesn't it? Or if you lived in South Florida a couple weeks ago, or in the Caribbean, or maybe down in Mexico or Guatemala, you would think life maybe isn't that easy sometimes. Uh, We started to travel internationally quite a bit when I was toward the end of my career, and and my wife and I and our kids and, and some other families, we travel over to Africa pretty regularly. And man, you open your eyes a little bit in some of the places around the world In fact, honestly, you can go just to some places in Atlanta and realize life can be really tricky. Life can be really hard. Um, Another great book I love to read is a book called Adam's Return. Anybody read that book? Okay, see a hand back there, written by a guy named Richard Rohr. Uh, In that book, Richard Rohr says this. Life is hard. He says, life is not about you. He says, you're not as important as you think you are. He says, you're not in control. That's a hard one for a guy like me. And then he says, you're going to die. Welcome to Purpose on (laughs) Tap. But when you think about that stuff, the whole notion of being in the world but not of the world, influencing the world more than the world influences you, the notion that life isn't easy, life is hard. I mean, it makes you, it makes you think, right? Because we cruise through life most of the time, especially when we're single, especially when we're early married, especially when we don't have kids, and we're just kind of doing life, right? I mean, I heard a couple guys talking tonight about Purpose on Tap and how um, earlier uh, in life, it was like, I'm working to get my paycheck and I'm working for the weekend. But then they got married, and it was like a wake-up call. And they realized, wait a sec, no, I'm actually, I'm responsible for, as a leader of my home, taking care of this woman. And then you have children, and you realize, holy smoke, I actually have a life fully dependent upon me. And if you have more than one kid, it's like not, it's not incremental, it's exponential, right? And then I can only imagine what it feels like as a granddad, because in a way you kind of aren't really responsible, but in a way you feel the stewardship and the responsibility of like, no, I want to really make sure my grandkids have a chance. And so as I've kind of wandered through life, um, I've really, really, really understood that um, God created me for more than simply succeeding in this world or making my way in this world or kind of proving myself. I've, I've realized over time that he created me for purpose. He created me to have purpose. He created me to have an impact. I heard a couple guys talking tonight about the impact this has had on them. That's made them consider what it's like uh, to, to be a godly husband or a godly father or to really invest in their children or to mentor a younger sibling or whatever it may be, to have impact in their community. I think that's one of the other things that I learned in my lifetime pretty early was life is hard when you try to do it alone, right? And we can tend to isolate ourselves. Um, In fact, early on in my career, one of the things I realized about being a pro athlete is that wealth and fame isolate you. And I wasn't even really famous, but certainly compared to a lot of people, I had to deal with both of those things. I always used to say to myself that I kind of felt like I had enough fame or celebrity to kind of get the perks and benefits of all of it, but not so much of it that it was cumbersome. But most of my teammates, they couldn't go to the grocery store without being bugged. They couldn't go to the car wash without being bugged. If you're a quarterback in the NFL, you can't scratch your butt without people seeing it. So life can be hard alone, and we tend to, by human nature, isolate ourselves. But wealth and influence and celebrity and all those things really isolate you. And in a room like this, in this part of town, I know how easy it is to be isolated. I know how easy it is to kind of create a little hermetically sealed life where you're all on your own. Over time, I realized God didn't create us to live isolated, created us to live in community with brothers, Okay, there's an amazing proverb that says, iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And man, I stand before you as a guy who has three or four guys in my life that they know everything I do. They can ask me any question they want. We talk all the time. We talk daily almost, most of us. If we, live, if we don't live in the same town, it may be every other day type of thing. We text back and forth all the time because that's what God wants for us. He wants us to live like this. He wants us to live in community. He wants us to be in relationship with each other. He wants us to rub up against each other and really spur each other on toward loving good deeds, toward being better husbands, better dads, etc. Um, who watched the Alabama Ole Miss game? Anybody an Alabama guy? Okay, sadly, anybody an Ole Miss guy? One guy in the back, 66 to three. Unbel- unbelievable <laughs> but my point is this who watched nick saban walk up and down the sideline anybody know where i'm going with this did you see a guy who's always within a step or two of nick saban with a Gatorade cup you did anybody else see that next time you watch alabama okay hopefully they're not playing your team because that'll be brutal (laughs) but the next time you watch Alabama watch Nick Saban walk up and down the sideline and there's always within a step or two of him this guy with a Gatorade cup that guy knows okay perhaps among other things that guy knows his purpose that guy knows exactly what he is supposed to be doing and he's never three or four steps away He's also never half a step away. He is always exactly a step or two behind Nick Saban. And when Nick turns left, that guy turns left. When Nick turns right, that guy is not here getting run into by Nick Saban. Trust me, that guy's back over here all of a sudden. It's like a miracle. I mean, it's like he just teleports himself to the right side of Nick Saban. But when we're living in life and we understand that That who we are, okay, is somebody God created to be used by God on this earth to bring uh, positive impact to the world. And when we're in community and we've got good buddies in life, iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, and we have purpose, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Life is very different than when we're isolated, alone, on an island, etc. And I really believe that something like this helps spur us on to finding community. Being in deep relationship with each other, being challenged in relationship by each other, and the outcome of that is that we live for a bigger purpose, right? We live for for something that kind of helps our community, uh, enriches our community, uh, changes the trajectory of our families. Okay, uh, my wife and I, because of my career, became passionate about a decade ago uh, about the the ways we would use the money God had given us, so that that we kind of created a legacy for our family. And we're both first generation givers. That may sound like a crazy phrase to you, but I didn't grow up in a family where my family gave away money. And my wife didn't grow up in a family where her family gave away money. But we have had the privilege because of my career and then some business things since then that we've been in a position to give money away. And we began to consider what kind of legacy we wanted for our family. But what we realized is it wasn't really about us what it was really about was it was helping our children understand the privilege it is to give and it would help our children's children someday understand the privilege it is to give and a couple of you're nodding at me and i even know a couple of you in here who are from families where that's been on display multi-generationally your parents did it your grandparents did it maybe even your great-grandparents did it and so i i want you to consider what god's purpose is for you okay as you sit here tonight as you hang out in this crowd as you as you do life with each other understand God's got a great purpose for you. He's got a great, great plan for your life. Um, The final thing that I'd touch on um, is this. Um, I think I've learned over time to make the most of every opportunity. So I realized fairly early in my life that that what I do or what my name is or any of that stuff isn't really who I am. Uh, Who I am has nothing to do with what I do or what or what my name is. My identity isn't wrapped up in what I do. Um, I've realized over time that God created me to be in relationship with other guys. I've realized over time I had a purpose in my life that was bigger than me. But the final thing that I wanna wanna touch on just for a minute before we maybe have some Q&A is that um, life is short, right? And life is fleeting. And when you look at Las Vegas, or you think about Las Vegas, I I imagine there were people there who never, ever, ever, in their wildest dreams thought as they went to a concert or a music festival last night that they were going to take their last breath. Or maybe their friend was going to take their last breath. Or maybe somebody they didn't even know who was standing near them was going to take their last breath. Um, Yesterday morning, I got a text from a really, really dear friend Uh, and he told me that one of our very close friend's son was killed in a car accident at 2 a.m. And I'm pretty sure that my buddy didn't go to bed the night before thinking that he'd get a call in the middle of the night from his son's girlfriend with a sheriff on the other line saying, sorry, but your son was killed in a car accident. Um, Similarly, a couple years ago, I got a phone call in the middle of um, just Sunday afternoon and it was one of my best friend's wife and she called in tears and she said it's really really bad Uh, the doctor says he has two brain tumors and two lung tumors and as they'd driven over to Athens to spend the day with their daughter who was a sophomore at UGA I'm pretty sure as they drove over there they weren't thinking about ending up at St. Joseph's and realizing that you have stage four melanoma two tumors in your brain and two tumors in your lung and so i think when you do life like this and you're in community like this what it helps you do is navigate kind of some of those circumstances in life and some of those ups and downs in life that that force themselves upon us Um, we we end up realizing okay that life is precious life is really short Uh, we're in relationship with each other for a reason because we can help each other kind of weather the storms of life Uh, We help each other understand we've got a God who actually was the storm calmer, okay? He's the one that caused the wind and the waves to die down. If you read the miracle uh, in scripture that that is told uh, in, in that account, you see that our God is completely in control and he's not smaller than our circumstances, he's actually in control over our circumstances. And so I think in a setting like Purpose on Tap, what you begin to do is encounter some of these truths in life, and it kind of changes the way you think about life. When you get that phone call, you kind of process that call differently. And so I've had the privilege of witnessing that. I've seen people who've gone through those kinds of things. You guys have too. And I'm grateful that today, as a 47-year-old guy, uh, even though, in some ways, maybe I achieved the pinnacle of success in the world, I realize that the world doesn't offer me uh, all its crack uh, you know the world's not cracked up to be all it all it wants to be and um and so i'm i'm uh, really grateful for the things i've learned I'm grateful for the guys I have in my life I'm grateful for guys like Matthew and Tucker and other guys who I know in this room uh, because they they help me kind of stay on the straight and narrow and help me navigate life so um love to take any questions love to to uh, kind of hang out with you guys for a little bit and thanks a ton for having me so Yeah, um, Alan's asking kind of about um, realizing that that uh, wealth and, and success, stuff like that isolate you and, and fail you, et cetera, um, and then how did I kind of shift toward a life that um, that kind of uh, helped me create system, et cetera, to, to navigate uh, life in a way that wasn't isolated and so on. Um, you know, I had a teammate when I was playing who uh, was kind of the epitome of, um, of uh, everything you could say the world maybe would offer you. So uh, highly drafted, signed the biggest deal in the history of his career in the in the history of the NFL. Early in his career, uh, ended up going to like nine Pro Bowls. Uh, signed another deal that was the biggest deal in the history of the NFL for his position. Um, Maybe three or four years into our playing together, um, we'd sit in the hot tub after practice, four or five of us, and just talk about life. We didn't want to have to go home and do honeydews, and um, And so we were sitting there one day, and he hated, he absolutely hated most of what we uh, kind of stood for because we'd, we'd kind of gotten a little ahead of him in, in the, uh, the learning stages of life, I guess. And, and he had everything, so he didn't need anything. Um, he, uh, he, he really just couldn't stand um, some of the stuff we talked about, and so um, he went home uh, that off season, and his brother was killed in a, a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler. Uh, the guy was drunk, he was driving the 18-wheeler, hit his brother, killed him tragically, and it devastated um, our buddy. Uh, It was a huge wake-up call to all of us because we had seen how he had created this life where um, he had everything at his fingertips. Uh, Most of us wanted what he had, Okay, we all wanted to sign the biggest deal in the history of the NFL at our position. Uh, we wanted to go to you know Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl, but we realized that that failed him because he didn't have anything to fall back on. He was devastated, he came back, he played horrible, he couldn't get himself together, uh, he even got benched because he didn't have anything to fall back on. And it wasn't long after that we were all sitting in the hot tub one day and he realized and he even said this, that you know he had kind of pursued that whole notion of, of gaining the world, but he realized he'd lost his, his soul, he'd lost himself, he'd lost every sense of identity he had, he lost his security, he had no confidence, he was, he was fearful, everything. So I, in my early 20s, that's when that kind of all came together for me, and um, I wouldn't actually say there was a cost to that decision. I would actually say that I derived great benefit from that decision because it helped me create some boundaries in my life that actually kind of ensured that, that my life would look different than when I didn't have those boundaries. And so I actually had more margin relationally because I actually wanted to honor my wife. I wanted to spend time with my wife. I wanted to get home and, and do life with my wife. I wanted to be in community with other couples who were like us. Um, And so for me, there wasn't a cost. I mean, to me, I actually look back on it and go, man, it changed the trajectory of my life, now 24, 23 years later. And, um, you know, the NFL will uh, lead to um, a bad outcome most of the time, pro sports does. Remember that direction determines destination. Um, Within two years of leaving the game, and this is almost universal for pro sports, but within two years of leaving pro football, 78% of guys are bankrupt, unemployed, divorced if married, or addicted to substances or any combination of the four. Think about that, 78% of guys are unemployed, bankrupt, divorced if married, or addicted to substances, or any combination of the four. And so the NFL early on sets you on a direction that's taking you to a destination that's not a great one. Pro sports generally is that way. You look at pro basketball players; it's very similar statistic. Baseball is a little different because those guys are a little more mature once they actually get into the big leagues because they actually paid their dues. It's kind of humiliating to ride around on a bus and get handed ten bucks for dinner. So, yeah. Uh, the, uh, what's your opinion on college sports today? By the same process you see what's going on with the basketball that's a great question what's your name Phil. Phil's asking do I think there's integrity left in college sports or what do I think about college sports I mean the the Louisville scandal Patino all that stuff pretty staggering obviously I mean I, I I, uh, I probably am a little cynical about that stuff generally, but I, I would like to have thought there was a little bit of integrity in all of it. But at the end of the day, it's all about money, right? I mean, huge money's being thrown around. You look at the stupid Lonzo Ball thing. I mean, for crying out loud, the guy hadn't even stepped on the NBA court and had $495 shoes. Um, and so, I don't know, it's a great question. I mean, we have a culture that's on the decline, there's no doubt about it. I don't care what you believe, where you live, any of that stuff, you don't have to read much news, watch much TV, or walk outside and breathe and not realize cultures on the decline. Marriages are falling apart. People have more debt than they've ever had. Kids don't know their parents. We live in a fatherlessness society. So college sports is representative of that, right? Most kids who go to college don't have a dad. Most college athletes don't have a dad. Think about it. and when you see schools getting paid 14, 15 million bucks to go to a bowl game, it just, in my opinion, is a miniature professional league. And so, I don't know, it's a tough thing. I mean, my son's about to go off and play college football and we're thinking long and hard about where is he gonna go because there aren't that many places that I think are the types of places I want my son to be um, in that environment. So, it's a great question, pretty, pretty insightful. So, yeah. You mentioned identity and uh, not not being wrapped up so much in what you do, but when you're in the thick of it as a professional, how did you deal with failure? And not let it either crush or define or poison you or just throw throw you off your game. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. How did I deal with failure as a place kicker? Well, if you if you Google Adam Sandler Lonesome Kicker, I got a cameo appearance. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have any royalties for some reason, but I guess I was too stupid to, to look for that early on. Um, it's hard, man, it's hard. I mean, in our, in our small group, Fox and me and several other athletes, John Smoltz has been in there for a number of years. You know, being on an island as a place kicker, or a closer in baseball, um, you know, it's hard and you, you you do either get eaten up by it or figure out how to kind of eat it up. And I think most guys who say they want the ball in the last second are full of it. Because nobody really wants to have the ball in the last second because there is a chance you won't succeed, right? And if you don't succeed, you failed. And if you failed, that's no fun. And when people are cussing you up and down or they're losing money on you because they gambled it on you, you know, they're not happy. Um, but. Uh, I, for me, it became something that I, that what I fell back on was my faith. I mean, I had no choice. And um, when I missed that kick at Alabama, I realized my identity was tied up in how I played. And so if I made the kick, I felt great about myself because people told me I was great. But if I missed the kick, they said what they said on my message, right, on my answering machine. But the reality is I wasn't a different person whether I made it or missed it. It was their perception of me. And so, what I realized over time, once I, once I had a relationship with Christ, was um, He created me for purpose beyond the field, He created me for purpose beyond the game, God had a plan for my life that was far bigger, far grander, more meaningful, more purposeful than just kicking a football. King of Football was really a platform. It was a position of influence in our society. People love sports, gave me a voice. I mean, trust me, I'm not that good a speaker. Y'all have heard me. I'm not here because I'm a whiz-bang speaker or because I'm a great this or that. I'm here because I played football and Matthew watched me play. I mean, I, I grew up and I and that's the deal, right? I mean, it gives you influence on our culture. So um, for me, I just, I, I clung to my faith and I realized that as long as God wanted me in the NFL, I was gonna make kicks. And so you gotta make 80% of them, and I made 80% of them. And some years it was 82 or three or five, and some years it was 79, but by and large, until I quit making 80%, I was in the league. And then finally I got too old to kick, and so that's that's the other thing that gets you run out of the league. So Matt Matt is a freak, by the way. Matt Bryant is a crazy, crazy gifted dude. He's had a phenomenal career, so. But great question, you know, there's a, there's a, a verse that says, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And I would spent the first 20 plus years of my life trying to prove myself and figure out how to be as smart, as wise, as cool, as good an athlete, as whatever as I could be. And I got to a place fairly early in my career where I realized, growing up in the church, I'd been in the church most of my life. Some of y'all have grown up in the church. You grew up in the South. Um, Man, if God's foolishness, if his folly is better than anything I will ever come up with, I'm a fool to not ask God to help me in life. And that was kind of what I concluded. And that's what I tell my 17-year-old son who thinks he walks on water. I'm like, you know what? Hey, here's what it says. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So you might want a little humility because I don't think you want God as your opponent. That really stuck with me. Like, I don't want God as my opponent. If I could have a choice and I could choose him to be my teammate or my opponent, which would I choose? I've played sports my whole life. would be an idiot to have God against me. So, great question. Maybe a few more? Yeah. That's a really, really great question. How do you develop community on the road? Um, Well, for me, being in a very nomadic existence, the life of a pro athlete, um, it's kind of a weird situation because you're pretty nomadic, but at the same time, you're nomadic with a tribe. So you got a group of guys that you kind of go everywhere with. Um, I think post-career, what I've realized, which probably is more relevant to what you're talking about, is i've got to be in town intentional so i've got to be when i'm home really intentional about having deep relationship and meaningful relationship with those few guys so that when i do travel just because i'm out of town doesn't mean i'm not in community Um, i got two or three guys we text every morning and we trade scripture, we trade some encouraging thought, we trade um, uh, thought about how to raise our kids, we trade a thought about how to steward our money better, we, we share giving ideas with each other, um, we laugh together, we plan on uh, ways to creatively seduce our wives, I mean, you name it, I mean, it's just life, right? That's what it is, it's doing life together, and so, um, and so, uh, I think you gotta be intentional when you're in town. And I do travel, I'm on four or five boards and they're all out of town. And so they're quarterly rhythm and you kinda know you got a board meeting and so I'm flying to Dallas for a couple days or I'm flying to wherever for a couple days. And and um, I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing is just, man, be intentional when you're in town. And then I think, create healthy boundaries. Like, create healthy boundaries. Um, I had a teammate uh, who, played with me for five or six years, ended up playing like 15 years. He was a quarterback. Um, he, uh, he said one day in the locker room uh, when, when a couple of us busted him uh, in kind of a weird set of circumstances, we ended up realizing he was at a strip club the night before. And um, we said, what in the heck are you doing? And he said, well, I, you know, I, I just wanted to, wanted to like, try to help the young guys not make any stupid choices type of deal, that was his answer. And I was like, you're such an idiot. What are you talking about? Like, you, you wanna help them make, not make a stupid choice? You're the one making the stupid choice. I mean, that isn't honoring your wife. That isn't, that's not putting yourself in a good position. So create healthy boundaries, right? Don't do stupid stuff. You know, you're walking toward a pothole, go to the other side of the street you're not gonna avoid the pothole walking on that side of the street. So, it's a great question, so. Let's do one more. Okay. So, I was talking to uh, a couple guys earlier. One was just kind of a younger guy, and one's new to Atlanta. Um, What would be your advice uh, for guys, whether they're new to Atlanta or new to Purpose On Tap? Um, You talked about the importance of getting into community. Um, So how would you, what do you think it looks like when you're sort of the new guy or the young guy to make that a priority? Um, So how do you get into community when you're new in a town? Um, Well, I gotta be honest with you. For me, I've always uh, felt like having older man in my life um, was very helpful. And so everywhere my wife and I've lived, anywhere I've lived, I've always made a point of trying to figure out through some sort of network how to connect with an older, wiser man that I I knew I could trust to help me answer those kinds of questions. And so um, thankfully, we've had that for 24, 25 years everywhere we've lived. And I think that's kind of the way God works. Like Purpose on Tap is a bit of a network, right? It's a bit of of uh, of a kind of an extension of several spheres of influence or little circles of community. And now you got a big group, right? You got 160, 170 guys in here. And so um, my guess is that when some guy moves from Atlanta to Birmingham or from Atlanta to Orlando or Atlanta to Dallas, um, he's going to know somebody here who knows somebody in Dallas or who knows somebody in Birmingham or Orlando. And, and so I've always tried to, to trust that through kind of my relational network, I've got ways to connect with great guys and good guys. and. And then um, in this season of life, our church has been that for us. I mean, we've found a great church. We've been plugged in. We've been a part of it. We've loved it. And so that's been a game changer for us. Um, we've had a small group as a married couple. That's been a game changer for us. And um, so those would probably be the things that I would say. Um, and then the final thing maybe would be just like business affinity groups and stuff like that. I mean, I, th- I think you oftentimes can find really good, wholesome uh, kind of brotherhood in in those kinds of settings, industry affinity groups and stuff like that. Again, you gotta gotta create healthy boundaries and you gotta kind of pick and choose friends wisely. Um, Something I tell my son all the time is bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. So the guys I surround myself with are gonna have an effect on and an influence on me, without a doubt. And um, I wanna have more of an influence on other people than they have on me unless I've chosen them to have an influence on me, and that's where that older man kinda is, and that's where those kinda guys that I wanna run with are, and then even younger guys that I can invest in. So, great question. So, last one, or is that it? That's it. Okay. Lots of great stuff there.